1: Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's com slash Wondery.
0: Welcome to Episode 327 with my guest, Jana Brister. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions past traumas and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, this show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm a jackass, and this is not the doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck <laughs> in a waiting room where you can hear the traffic outside because uh, the doctor uh, moved to an apartment. Um what I want to share with you. Go to our website. Check it out. There's all kinds of things you can do there. You can support the show there. You can browse the forum. You can read um, blogs and guest blogs. You can fill out our anonymous surveys, which we read all the time on the show. Maybe yours will get read. Um, Maybe it won't, and then you can hold a resentment against me. And then if we ever meet in person, uh, maybe you could say something passive-aggressive to me and, and and then we could both part ways, and forever just hold just a little just a little pearl of hate in our bellies uh, for each other. That's one possibility, or or you don't have to. Um, one of our sponsors is uh, BetterHelp.com. They do online counseling, and uh, part of uh, the deal with them is I share about what is going on in my life therapy-wise, things that I'm struggling with. And I'm proud to say that I have not not eaten uh, marshmallow fluff by the tablespoonful immediately before going to bed uh, for over a week. And I consider that a little bit of a victory. Uh, You know, one of the things that uh, my therapist and I talked about the last time uh, we had a session was that I am clearly trying to run from the pain of um, my marriage splitting up, and that the solution is to sit in those feelings and feel them and process them instead of trying to run from them with sugar or you know whatever whatever other distraction I can think of. And uh so I've been doing some some crying um this week but I think in a in a healthy way and I'm eating less sugar and it's it's nice of course I'm obsessively now searching the internet for the lowest sugar content chocolate that I can find I I want to find chocolate that is just short of so tart, it gives you a headache. Cause I do like really bittersweet chocolate. And so I figure, you know, if I get to that place where I feel like I need sugar, I'll just have a couple of, couple of pieces of that and that'll, that'll tide me over. But, um, something that I wanted to share with you guys. I was at a coffee shop, uh, I think it was uh, Tuesday. The day doesn't matter. Why am I telling you the day? I'm already hating myself. I am at this coffee shop, and because it's Los Angeles, sometimes you get people talking about show business in an unnecessarily loud tone of voice. I had never, in 23 years of living here, I have never heard somebody talk so loudly about show business as this guy who was sitting Four feet away from me, and he was not just talking about show business. He was lecturing this young man uh, about screenplays and writing. He wasn't discussing. This guy was putting on like a uh, I don't even know what to call it. Uh, it it was. For one, it was rude because there's people all around this guy. And if somebody is... The person he's talking to is just one person. They're two feet away from him, if even that, maybe a foot and a half away. And if he were talking to the guy just like I'm talking to you right now, there would be no problem. I would be able to hear him because I'm two and a half feet away, but I could also tune him out. But this guy was the biggest windbag I have ever heard. And I, I'm i sitting there trying not to judge this guy, saying, you know what, maybe he was raised in a family where that's the volume they talked at, and he's not aware of it. And maybe he likes imparting wisdom to other people, and this makes him feel like he's being of service. I tried every tactic to not resenting this guy, but I'm not exaggerating this is how loud he is talking to people and when you when the greeks invented drama i i'm not kidding it was that loud and and i was like i really want to say something but that people pleaser in me couldn't and this guy it was almost like a sketch where somebody's saying you know, whispering in his ear, no, do something even more annoying. He starts quoting Aristotle and French philosophers, and then he starts talking about Confucius. And he says, well, in the opening act, the character seems to have a Confucian dilemma. And I turned and looked at him with the most Passive aggression I ever had in my life, hoping that I wouldn't have to say something, that he would just see by the look in my eye. And he looked right at me, turned away, and just kept on talking. And I didn't say anything. I I could not, I could not find the part of me that felt I deserved to not have somebody being that rude. And I fucking hate that I I couldn't... I don't know if it's that I'm so afraid of confrontation. Uh, So I did what any uh, person who struggles with uh, going between people-pleasing and passive aggression, I live-tweeted the whole thing and everything that I really wanted to say to the guy and it was really just mean DJ voice in my in my brain feeding me mean jokes that I wanted to say out loud to the guy and I won't go into what all all of them were but I know it wasn't the healthy thing to do but comedy has saved me for so much of my life it's hard to not go there when my brain starts to overheat and and that steam valve, I know how to work that steam valve. Well, I'll tell you one of the jokes that I wanted to say. I wanted to turn to the guy and say, Sir, volume will not erase your 60 years of professional frustration. But I didn't. I didn't. So anyway, uh, as I said, I do online therapy every week with BetterHelp.com. I love uh, my therapist. Her name is Donna. She's awesome. Uh, if you want to try BetterHelp.com, uh, go to BetterHelp.com slash mental and then uh complete the questionnaire and you'll get matched with a betterhelp.com counselor and you get to experience a free week of online counseling to see if uh, if it's right for you and you got to be over 18 i highly recommend it i uh i am sold i am sold i want to welcome a uh new sponsor uh, to the show this week adamandeve.com. you know we've talked a lot about uh, on the, on the show about embracing your authentic sexual self and how it can be a healthy thing you know what Maybe that involves buying a toy, doing some exploring, trying something new. Go to the website, check it out, type in type in a crazy phrase, see what comes up. Type in punish my butthole. I bet you something comes up. Maybe you buy it, maybe you don't. Maybe I bought it all up and there's none left. It's none of your business. And speaking of none of your business, they make your privacy. A top priority. They use state-of-the-art encryption to protect your credit card info. They send your stuff out in plain anonymous packaging. Uh, the name Adam and Eve will never appear on your billing statement. And for a limited time only you get 50% off just about any item. After you pick out uh, your item you also get to pick three free things and then they throw in a free mystery gift. And It's free shipping. So go to adamandeve.com. Use the offer code MENTAL at checkout. That's M-E-N-T-A-L at adamandeve.com, mental at adamandeve.com. This is from the uh, Happy Moments survey, and it was filled out by a woman who calls herself I'm a Casualty, and she writes, It's been a long season of depression and suicidal ideation, and I've recently become introduced to the monster of bipolar twos mixed states. I was lying in a lukewarm bath for the fourth time this week, trying to ease the body aches and anxiety when I started listening to the newest episode with Jenny Jaffe. As she shared her story of childhood depression and her list of fears, I found myself smiling and actually feeling relaxed because I heard a story of someone who went through exactly what I went through, minus the support of family and help as a child, and I was genuinely happy to know that there are parents out there who see their own kids and are unafraid of the darkest truths. To feel a little less alone is the most beautiful thing on the planet, and Janny did that for me.
1: I'm so scared of being alive and so scared of dying. I was so, so lonely, but I couldn't bear being around people. and it hurt. I've just been like very interested in dicks. I don't know how to let loose and just be. All my alters have different handwriting and different... Extremely anxious. Affects. I am most turned on when I am in fear. My first thought was I'm about to die. Stomach-clutching despair. Ocean of sadness. I came out over the phone to them. I put myself on the act diet in fourth grade.
0: I'm here with Jenna Brister, who is a stand-up comedian, um, writer. um, What what am I? Storyteller. Yeah. Um, You were recommended to me by uh, one of our guests, uh, Laura House. I th- I think she saw you perform in a storytelling thing or something.
1: Yeah, she saw me at uh, Taboo Tales. Okay, at Groundlings Cedar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: Taboo Tales is also a, a podcast for uh, for you listeners. It's a it's a live show here in LA, but also a great podcast um, done by um, former guest of this show, um, Lorenz Sala, and her partner Corey. Uh, re- remind me of Corey. Yeah, Corey,
1: Corey. Podell.
0: Padel. That's mm-hmm. right. I gotta get Corey back on here. Uh
1: She's so great.
0: <laughs> uh where do we begin? You're how old?
1: Oh I guess I'm thirty-two. Okay. Yeah.
0: And um what are because I don't know anything about you other than Laura said you should have Jenna on. And my That's... friends are usually right yeah. about <laughs> guest guest recommendations.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: That's so where, where would be a good place to start you you brought something in that you have written and read publicly before uh do you want to start with that
1: um yeah i guess i'll just give a little brief intro about we were talking a little bit before about um uh, my background i guess i just i grew up in seattle uh, my whole family's still there parents are still married which is you know amazing because um, i'm not and we'll talk about that but uh after college, I moved to New York and started doing comedy and did UCB there and then got way more into storytelling in The Moth and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I kind of found... So you've
0: been on The Moth? Yeah.
1: That's I've such won- a great... It's awesome. Yeah. It's, I love that organization. And, um, and so that's kind of where I started uh, learning how to write my own stories. And so I moved to L.A. about five years ago to do the ground leans. and I live in Venice and I have a dog and a cat and uh this story was really hard for me to write it took me about 3 years um to really get back up on stage and tell this story and so I'm I'm going to I'm excited to tell it to you guys because it's uh it's not a fun topic but um I guess I might as well go ahead and launch into it okay um and this version that I wrote um it was initially for taboo tales and they have, um, so you've done the show, the, the visual punchlines. Yes. So if you're listening, um, I'm just going to describe the image that was the, put the, up on the back the slide that they <laughs> yeah. would
0: put up on the projection. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so, and, uh, if you want to ever see a video of this, um, hit up Paul, he'll hit up me and I can send you the video. Um, so here we go. All right. So I did a storytelling show on my 29th birthday because it's a great way to lure all my friends to one place and talk about myself into a microphone, <laughs> kind of like this. So thank you for listening. And after my birthday show, we were at a bar and this tall Venezuelan friend of a friend sat down and wished me a Feliz cumpleanos Let's call him Javier. He was funny, charming, and the chef of the restaurant next door. We made out because it was my birthday and he's a Latino hottie. And the next day... He invited me over and made me dinner. And from then on, we were inseparable. And we were getting to know each other as he sliced and sauteed delicious things for me. In week three of our romance, I was sitting on the toilet with the door open, chatting about what we're allergic to, me, chapstick, him, feathers. And I suggested that we move in together. I'd never lived with a man before, so I was thrilled. And we began sharing everything, including keys. And a few months later, he made me risotto and proposed to me with his grandma's gold rings that were brought up from Venezuela. And I said, yes and when i get good news i like to go outside and so we went outside and went to zanzibar for salsa night it was the only place open this was in santa monica um but i can't dance backwards so we just drank instead and it was fast impulsive and wildly romantic just like other successful couples i look up to and um like a flash of was pam anderson and tommy lee <laughs> chloe lamar and then nick cannon mariah carey and the list does go on and so i got married in vegas premeditated And the photographer at the chapel had us do this roll the dice motion for half the photos in the romance package. And upon hearing the news, most people responded with, oh, I didn't know you were even dating. And I was like, well, you're right. I wasn't. And a few concerned friends asked if his green card status made him eager to make it legal. No, of course not. We've been in love for 86 days. You know, (laughs) and I even did a show talking about my taboo whirlwind nuptials the day we got back from Vegas, inspiring others to dive in. Who needs conventional timelines? And then when they flashed up a picture of me doing that show, looking very confident. <laughs> um, so when we got back from our honeymoon, he quit his high paying chef job citing stress. So I got a second job because that's what my instinct said a good wife would do. And over the next few weeks, the man I loved began to rapidly deteriorate into someone I didn't recognize. It's like he had this switch inside his psyche that flipped into control mode. And he had all my passwords because I trusted him. He's my husband. And then he went through my phone, deleted all male friends from my contacts. He said, I can't have male friends anymore. Now that I'm not married, it's not appropriate. And I was confused, but marriage was new territory for me. So I just justified it as recalibrating, you know, and figured it would pass. Now, the only time he and I were apart is when I was nannying or at improv class. And one day I got a text from him that he went through all my emails and found one from back in 2007 from an ex-boyfriend. At this point, that was about six months, you know, prior, he was in a rage. So I'm helping some celebrity's kid make a butterfly mobile for a science project. And my husband is pissed at me for getting an email six years ago from a man that I was monogamously banging. And that was only the beginning. Now, why didn't I tell someone about this bizarre turn in his behavior towards me? Well, it's because it's embarrassing. I'm a smart lady and this shit isn't supposed to happen to me. And he insisted on driving me anywhere. And at first I thought, how sweet, he wants to hang out. But this way, he was able to keep tabs on my every move and isolate me from my friends. And I coming home one night from a double nanny shift. He was playing zombie video games in the dark and glares over at me. He says, you're lucky that I love you. Nobody else ever would because you're a whore. Wow. And, I, and this was after a night where I came in from nannying, from taking care of three children who didn't come out of me so that I could pay our rent. And the extent of the verbal abuse is too intense to lay out, but trust me when I say it was really fucked up and things that no one should say to anybody, but the screaming didn't let up. And it was always when we were alone at home or in the car and he told me that I'm worthless, that I'm shitty, that I'm fat, that I'm ugly, that I'm stupid, that I have no talent, that I'm not a woman for not taking my husband's last name, that I'm not feminine, that nobody else would ever love me. Brutal, brutal things. And I had a real moment thinking, really? Like, my friends love me. My family does. And a homeless man just told me I had beautiful eyes outside the Whole Foods. Now, after a few scary episodes of him chasing me in a rage, and then him driving barefoot to LAX, threatening to deport himself, he grabbed my cat, Dante, by the scruff and dragged his body along the stucco wall outside our house. And I grabbed for Dante, and I felt this very pure fear that this guy could kill me. He's six foot four, 280 pounds, and he has a full set of knives. And I knew I had to get out. But when you share a bed with someone scary who's monitoring monitoring your every move, you don't want to get sniped in your effort to escape. And so I thought getting out of town for a bit would be good, change it up. So we went up to Seattle to see my family and to get some fresh air. And he cooked a big dinner for all the bristers. And I was relieved at any moments of non-rage. And it was really creepy how he was in front of them, you know, chopping vegetables, singing my praises, and telling my parents how smart I was, how I peeled the potatoes perfectly. But I saw right through it, and, but they just ate it up. And after a long, happy evening, everyone left, and I went upstairs to put on pajamas when suddenly he appeared at the door with his hands behind his back. And he strolled past me slowly, and a knife blade cover dropped to the floor. And he pulled the knife out, and I, and I froze. And then I thought, how poetic being murdered in the family house where I spent so many Christmases. But then he held up the knife to his own wrist and he started crying hysterically. And he said that he wanted to kill himself and I begged him not to. And he said he wanted to die for being so mean to me and then I didn't deserve it. And I was so confused. Like, pick a side, you know, but I got him to drop the knife and then we cried and we fell asleep and we drove back the next day with more screaming and fighting. Now during a rare moment alone, when I was at work, actually, I Googled how do you know if you're in an abusive relationship? And it seemed silly at the time because the A word wasn't on rotation in my vocabulary until I found one of the top results was a top 10 signs you're in an abusive relationship. And I clicked on it and it was from constant criticism to controlling behavior, hijacking your finances, verbal insults, insisting on driving you to places. And I had nine out of 10. And I was like, okay, shit, this is real. This is, know if you've ever seen someone yelling at their partner in public it's exponentially worse behind closed doors and the main event shitstorm began when he screamed at me to fuck off in public after tagging along on what was supposed to be a girl's night he said i was a whore and pinch twisted my leg onto the table until i yelped out in pain and he never crossed over into physical harm so i panicked and so we left the bar and his car was parked in front of mine and i pulled on my seatbelt. And I saw his two white reverse lights just as his car slammed into my front hood. And I looked out the window as he turned around and I locked eyes with my husband and he drove off and I felt this instant rush that I was going to be okay. Because that's the thing with verbal, mental and emotional abuse. There's no bruises to show or no evidence to convince people of what's really going on. But finally I had physical evidence of his aggression. And so I ran into my friend's house and I told both of them everything which led to an all-night standoff with more knives, him threatening to kill me if I didn't come home, and so this time I had to call the cops at 3 in the morning. They told me that we were newlyweds, and this was normal for us to fight, and that I should just go home to him. And I knew that that would be certain death. So thanks for your marriage advice, officer, and go fuck yourself. (sighs) But I had no choice now but to tell my family, and I was terrified and so embarrassed. But I called my parents and told them what's been happening. My dad and my brother flew down that afternoon from Seattle, and I'll never forget the look in their faces when I picked them up at the airport. I was embarrassed, and they were somber, Um, but we talked only logistics. You know, I booked a storage space, you know, rented a U-Haul, and um, we planned out when to call a police escort, you know, the usual. And the next morning, my dad, brother, and eight friends moved me out of the house in under two hours, and I told Javier not to be there because I needed to pick up a few things and that we would talk later that night. So he obliged, you know, thinking there's no way I would ever leave him. But the cops who showed up as the escorts were shocked. He doesn't know you're moving out right now. And they called for backup in case he returned. Because I described him to them and they said that this is typical. That My description of him fit a violent domestic abuser. And that they usually take statements like this from a hospital bed. I told my dad I was smart to get out this fast. That nobody gets out this fast. I figured this wasn't the time to tell them that I'd gotten into it even faster and how fun and carefree it is to wed in Vegas. <laughs> I didn't have time for such nostalgia. And I left his grandma's gold rings on the dining room table, and we left. And I tell you this because it's not easy getting out. I am so lucky to have that much support. And I didn't take his apologetic calls, texts, or letters, and he was relentless. But I felt that if I let him near me, he would kill me. And that instinct proved to be right. And I educated myself after this on abuse, and I joined a support group. And the type of abuser he was, there's several different types. Um, 90% of victims who are able to escape are killed by their abuser within the first year. And um, a couple weeks ago, it was three years. So that's great. But the old nine out of 10. Turns out I had a greater chance of being murdered by my first husband than I did of being called to come on down on The Price is Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I was relieved to be safe from it. But absorbing the endless tide of I told you so's and Jenna, you should have seen it coming"s was too much to bear. There must have been signs. You got married too quick. How could you know him well enough? And to everyone who said that stuff to me or said that to anyone, you are part of the problem. That's victim blaming. And this is why it's wrong to say and think. It blames me for his abusive actions. It suggests that I'm some way at fault and deserve this for my negligence. It's not my responsibility to not be abused by my husband. It's his responsibility to not be abusive to his wife. But it is easier to say, you must have seen it coming. There must have been red flags. Because that makes people feel safe. In our current culture, it's more digestible to accept the stupid woman narrative than the man-turned-monster narrative. Like in The Shining. That pale lady never should have gone to the lodge with Jack Nicholson. (laughs) Right? It's her fault for being stuck in that snowy lodge and not his fault for being batshit crazy. But I got one help from one woman who I nannied for who knew a thing or two about escaping from monsters. And the picture that flashed up was uh, Laura Dern in Jurassic Park that I (laughs) nannied for uh, her at the time. And she's an amazing woman. But she was away filming uh, Fallen Our Stars in Philly and offered me her L.A. house to stay in and out of the gate, an alarm system and a black lab named Jamal and overlooked the ocean. And I was safe. And it was a lot like the first part of Jurassic Park, minus the dinosaurs, but in the weeks after, my dad and I had had insomnia on the same nights. And he texted me, hey, Jen, I can't sleep. I'm trying to figure out what I can do for you. And that broke my heart. And I can't imagine the depth of his own heartbreak, seeing his girl go through this. And I just texted him back, dad, you did everything right. Because you taught me what love looks like and to love myself. So that I was able to tell the difference. And that is what saved me. I had a pure heart and the best intentions going into it, and because of that, I have zero regrets. A week later, I flew up to Seattle to be in a girlfriend's wedding with everyone from my past, and I filled out divorce paperwork with my dad in my childhood home two months after filling out marriage paperwork in front of him, (laughs) so my confidence was skyrocketing. (laughs) And I got to the wedding, and in the program it said, Bridesmaid, Jenna Rodriguez, and I never took his last name, and that was the first time I saw it in print, and she felt horrible, but I didn't mind so much. Because it's like seeing a bird shit on a casket as it's being lowered into the ground. Why be upset? The worst has already happened. Now, I do a lot of stand-up and storytelling and improv shows, but I canceled everything I had booked in the aftermath of this. Because I was scared he'd show up to a show and shoot me, to be honest. And I gave the bouncers at the improv pictures of him, and I would have to text my dad and brother when I was coming and going from shows. And I saw a therapist who was really hot, like J-Lo, and she helped me deal with feeling overexposed to take good care of myself. And I had more support than I could fathom from both my biological and my LA families. And I slowly started to feel safe. And it doesn't feel good to talk about, but it's important. Because it's a scary issue that's silenced by shame. Which is why it took me so long to get back up on stage to talk about this polar opposite story from what I usually say. And um, if any of you have ever, uh, if if any of you saw that show and got married in Vegas, I hope it's going better for you. And how fun is it to get married in Vegas? But sometimes you roll the dice and then the dice explode in your face. Thank you.
0: Wow. Thank you That's so it. much for, for sharing that. Yeah. That's, Thank you. I have so many questions. Yeah. What do you, what Let's are you feeling? What are you feeling right now after, mm-hmm. after reading it?
1: It, I think what strikes me the most, because it feels different, I think, every time, because it's it's something that you end up talking about a lot one-on-one, you know, Mm. and I think after it even happened is when I had other friends come to me and be like, I think I'm in something similar. I think my sister's in something similar and being able to talk about it openly. um, But it took me this long to have perspective on it. And I think that's why it's so embarrassing, because there was a lot of that. Like, I've lost some, I mean lost a couple friends who didn't handle it well and who instead of offering support and understanding blamed me for getting into it and I but I remember thinking it could have gone the we could have been together forever but it's uh, it's on him he's the one who has as I learned later um domestic abuse in his family and mm-hmm. grew up in isolation witnessing that and I didn't know that when I got married and I can't blame myself for it all I can do is just choose my own freedom and to get out of it it's really hard and that's the other thing too like i think so much in the news i mean there's so like that johnny depp thing i mean the list goes on about domestic violence in the news but there was a recent story i saw about this woman who even told the police like i can't go back to my husband you know i think he'll kill me and they're like no you should go home and she got he murdered her i'm like the cops told me the same thing
0: how I don't understand how you can put police out on the street who have that little of an education about such a common and important topic.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree. I, it's so prevalent. Well, Thank thank God
0: you, there are some because it sounds like the, the police that helped you were there when they helped you move it out mm-hmm. understood
1: were awesome they were so wonderful and they were really supportive and
0: and were they some, were they from the uh, different uh police unit than
1: same yeah a precinct up in um i want to say maybe in the burbank up in there because i was living in echo park at the time and mm. that was the closest station we could find and That's um so I th- it's it's shocking that there isn't a a standard of protocol because I experienced polar opposite. One man called for backup, the other one told me to go home. I was like, pick us, you know, then, but that's why it's so sadly.
0: I've heard that from so many people mm-hmm. who, um, or in the news, mm-hmm. heard that story that the cops thought this is because I, you know, I guess, and I'm not defending what. Those cops did. I guess I'm trying to understand Mm -hmm. why it would happen, um, because I suppose there are many domestic uh, disputes Mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily um, life-endangering or physically abusive, where both parties Mm -hmm. are super worked up, and maybe a neighbor calls, Mm -hmm. because they're they're concerned. I don't know. I'm just trying You're right, to, because
1: there's a yelling match versus a, right. An abusive. Yeah, yeah, totally. Cause I've had a scream, you know, had it out with a boyfriend before, yeah. <laughs> you know, but very different. Yeah.
0: Um, so when was the last time that you had any contact with the right before you moved out? Have you managed to, to yeah. evade him? i have since then
1: yeah i have and it's been hard it's hard because he's still in los angeles um but i doing the divorce paperwork was tough because i had to send it through someone you know i had a friend be the delivery person Mm -hmm. you know and he reached out a lot sent letters through friends and i said just don't give these to me anymore because there's no way you know and i because i knew my instincts were like not No, th- this, this is not to be turned trusted. into a monster too fast about five days after we got back from our honeymoon. And, uh, and after I ed- like educated myself on it, there's this book, um, it's called why does he do that by this man named Lundy Bancroft, who
0: what's the first name?
1: And it's called why a oh, Lundy L-U-N-D-Y okay. Bancroft. Um, and it's, I mean, the most incredible book He's done case studies for 30 years and he's the one who kind of breaks down, um, You know the patterns, the different types, and then just offers like ways to tell, ways to deal with it, how to get out, and that's that was my first education in this. You know, Mm -hmm. of being like, oh, I'm not alone. Reading the book was bone chilling, bone chilling to see all these accounts of the exact same thing that happened to me, and I was like, oh, this is a, you know.
0: You know, what's interesting too is the pattern they use to control the person they're going to abuse is so similar to the pattern that the pedophile uses mm-hmm. on a child. Mm-hmm. You lavish them with praise. Mm-hmm. You fill a need that they're not getting somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You isolate them, and then you chip away at their self-esteem so they believe that they need you.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's exactly what it was. You know, Because I went from, in our short courtship, I would do a show, come home, there would be a banner on the wall and a bottle of champagne congratulations on your show. And then right after we got married, it was, no, you can't do that show. No, you're, you can't do stand up, You can't talk about sex on stage, you know, or you can't talk about this cause you're married now. And I was like, exactly. You know, it's that polar opposite. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It was shocking, you know, but even like, I think that's been the biggest deal lately is just, and why this is so, it's so good to talk about it yeah. because like shining a flashlight on it, Because then that, you know, like every time I read it when, and it's it's so maddening. I try to not go crazy when I read the news when they're like, oh, well, you know, she's probably lying because she wants half his money. I'm like, it's so embarrassing. It's so embarrassing to tell people after, you know, you have a a wedding. (laughs) And then we got married at this chapel where like, you know, Britney Spears got married and like all these celebs because they live stream it. So people were tuning in all over the, you know, all my friends and then have to come out and be like oh this person i thought i knew is a monster is so you know i thought i i, I thought i could trust myself more and that was what that's did, been the hardest thing
0: t- talk about what it felt like when he was putting his show on for your family oh god
1: it was so scary what did you what did
0: you feel like in your in your body and what were your thoughts if you can remember
1: yeah i can i can picture specifically i a could just times. feel my
0: stomach drop yeah. picturing
1: yeah because
0: watching someone put on a show that you know is a psychopath or whatever you want to call it
1: hmm totally because that's that's another thing too like yeah they charm everyone in your life and um, it is I mean yeah a nauseous feeling because I could just it was almost like I was terrified to see what was gonna happen in the car because I knew I was gonna get yelled at for something I didn't do or say or think um, And it's, it was almost like watching a, like a nightmare puppet show. You know, like you're watching these things happen where you're like, this isn't real. You know, he doesn't really think these things. And, but I can't say anything. i would be like, you're lying. <laughs> because, he, you know, he's my husband and my friends think we're happy. And, you know.
0: Do you think he will ever... I know you probably don't care, but this is just an intellectual mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. Do you think he will ever seek help or do you think he's such a narcissist that, because, you know, he did break down that, that one time outside the bedroom, um, mm-hmm. at your parents' house. Yeah. Which kind of, sh- I don't know, it, it kind of confused me because he's, from what you've described, he strikes me as the type of person that, um, does not hold himself accountable mm-hmm. for things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. now that I think of it, that's not his way that's not being accountable. That's actually just another way to manipulate you yeah. to keep you from being mad at him. It's to I'm gonna I'm gonna coat over this with her sympathy. So strike that question that uh, No, but that you're exactly just,
1: right. And that's that was the that's cloud. That's such of the mindfuck. That's the totally. mindfuck. And I was in that cloud. Deep, you know, because I, I remember even some during some of his screaming fits. I remember thinking I would have to ask him, like, "What are you? I'm yelling about? Like what?" And he would just scream, like, "I don't know. I'm tired," and then storm off somewhere. And I was like, "What is even happening?" But you're right; it's because he wanted me to feel bad for him, so I wouldn't be be mad, mad at him. Mm-hmm, because that's manipula He was just a master manipulator, like the best at it but then I'm better because I got out, you know?
0: <laughs> but you, what you did was truthful. That wasn't manipulative yeah. at all. It was yeah. beautiful.
1: Telling the truth. It's beautiful. And it's, and you're right. That was like the, I think the hard part too, because I had never been married before. And I, I think part of me just at first kind of was like, uh, is this part of the deal? But then I remember thinking, no, I've seen marriages. And that people don't treat each other like this, you know, really. And I've had long-term relationships where that man has never been anything like that towards me. And so I, you know, in the cloud of it all, I was kind of like, I know that this isn't love. And I think that's why it's so prevalent because, you know, it's confusing because it's attention. It's all the attention that you don't want, but it's still attention and the possessiveness. I can see why it's confusing yeah. You know, yeah. It seems like absolutely. oh he cares. Oh he wants to drive me everywhere. Oh yes. he cares.
0: He loves me so much it's mm-hmm. upsetting him. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not that's, love.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, exactly. Um
0: what have you learned in the uh if it's not a um uh private mm-hmm. support group, can you say what the name uh, of it is and what you've learned there? I know some support groups are anonymous, mm-hmm. um twelve step based, stuff like that. Yeah. Um I'm just thinking in case there's somebody listening that is like, oh my God, I want to find a support group like yeah. that. What, what, where did you find it and what have you learned there and how does it, how has it helped you?
1: Yeah. I went to it only for the first month actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a, this one was an abused women's group through the Y, mm-hmm. the YMCA, no, the YWCA in mm-hmm. San Monica. And, um, I only ended up going a handful of times because I was on the night I worked I nannied still and it was on Wednesdays. And so I remember I took a couple of the Wednesdays off because I was like, I need this for myself and my boss was so cool. i like, yeah, go, you know, you need to be there. Um, the most shocking part of it was that I was the only woman there who had left the man. Everyone else, about 15 women who had not left him. And that was the most heartbreaking because I remember thinking – like, oh, my God, you're going to leave here and go see him, you know? And one woman was, like, in a, a cast, like a body cast. And um,
0: and that wasn't enough.
1: Yeah. I'd been with him for, I think, 19 years. I remember thinking, I made it two months, and I, you know, I got out before that. And I think that, but that's, I think, the realism of it yeah. is that I'm the odd one, yeah. you know, and that I was able to get out.
0: And you know the truth about illnesses like love addiction um is that that is how bad it can get that mm-hmm. people die from it. Mm-hmm. People die from their inability to accept reality
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because
0: they don't want it to be true, yeah, they so badly want to believe that this person is going to mm-hmm. to change,
1: yeah totally and that the the shame outweighs the desire for self preservation you know
0: yeah and i think there's too a confusing of the, of can people change with should i wait for this person to change and those yes. are two
1: completely
0: different things
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah people do change mm-hmm. but um <laughs>
1: mhm totally
0: you're not safe waiting for this person to yeah, to change
1: exactly, and um, by you staying, it doesn't give them an incentive.
0: How do you feel that what you have went through has um, strengthened you, made you a better person? Um, positive. I'm just guessing there have yeah. been positive things that have. Silver linings to what you've been through
1: absolutely yeah you know, can absolutely. you talk about them yeah i I think I had no idea how much I loved myself until this I and my dad just being so grateful for having males in my life, like my dad and my brother specifically who have always loved me so much, and they were the ones I kept thinking of when he. I remember like one night he screamed at me all night and the, I, the sun rose outside my window and then I had to go, I think, do improv. I had like improv class at the Crow Lane. So I was like, I have to go throw fake knives with other adults at 10 a.m. and I've been screamed at all night. And I remember thinking like, my dad and Joey would not stand for this.
0: Like Joey's your brother. Yeah,
1: Joey's yeah. my brother. I was like, and if they were here, they would be mortified. And that was such a barometer to me, you know, because it's, um, that was so hard. And I think I knew I had something bigger to do. I have things I want to create and stuff I want to write. And I, I'm working on that now. And um, that I love, like the things that I love were in jeopardy. And that...
0: Do you feel that... You now have a, a a tool in your belt when it comes to uh, getting yourself out of toxic friendships um, that you're able to recognize them sooner or at, at the very least not tolerate them to the degree that you would have tolerated them before.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Where that's because um, I've noticed people show themselves, or as I'm more aware, people will really show themselves, you know, in times of like in good times and in bad times, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that's the other thing. That happens a lot because I'm a very I'm naturally joyful person. I love life. It's very fun. You know, you're a comedian too. Like it's very I get to do what I love. Um But that's something that since this happened, when people find out, you know, because I don't lead with it, I don't often talk about it. You know, I'll, um but they're like, well, how you know you're so happy? And I'm just like, yeah, I'm not with a monster. I got <laughs> out. Like I'm the happiest girl on the planet. You know, like I experience something and I think also like the hard I mean this just came to me but I think I was really surprised at how genuinely excited I was gonna I was to get to be a wife that was never something I really I think you know growing up I assumed that you know I was like oh I'll probably get married and have kids but the older I got and then you know doing stand up and everything in this life I was like that'd be fun but who knows Um, but I didn't have the chance to do it you know and i think it's maybe different for people who were married for long enough then you get divorced and you have a nostalgia but i didn't even i don't i have no idea what it's like to be married i would love to experience it someday because i think there's something beautiful about that partnership um and i i don't know you know i just it was very different so
0: what what else would you if anything would you like to talk about struggles you've been through, things you think about yourself, um, uh, battles in your head, difficult things you've been through in the past, fantastic things you've been through in the past that have changed you, you know, any kind of a seminal moment in your life from childhood or adulthood or yesterday?
1: Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um,
0: And especially the things that are hard to talk about uh, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way, but
1: yeah. Um, I think this kind of goes in with this and this is something I, I, again, I think probably on theme with the podcast, um, is that my, I don't speak to my mom anymore because of a lot of what's coming up in this story and, um, recognizing after this happened, um, recognizing the abuse patterns with her and that, uh, that that's really hard, that's really hard for me and i do I don't ever talk about it, you know socially or on stage even because it's um you know I don't wish her bad whatsoever I mean she googles me, she's probably gonna hear that she googles me all the time, um but she was the only person in my life who was ever you know really kind of emotionally abusive and told me I wasn't funny and that you know she was always really disappointed in me for not being married and you know she also called me a whore once and um because she googles me and tries to see stand-up and um think wow. she told me i'm not funny that was like two years ago and after that i was like we're donezo you know after living through this and being on my own and then having someone you know and i but and that's the hard part it's like recognizing even someone in your own family doesn't mean that they're a good person or that they're the most mentally safe for you to be around and i mean it sucks but yeah. i think it's because she she's got her own stuff that she has to work out
0: i i did the same with my okay. mom for four years ago and it was mm-hmm. the hardest thing i ever did mm-hmm. and um i would go back and forth in my mind between good for you you were doing what is healthy for you and you're a terrible son. You didn't try hard enough. Um, and as the time has gone on, I become more and more comfortable in the decision and I feel more and more strength and resolve within, mm-hmm. within myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I get it. I get how, how difficult, mm-hmm. um, it is. And I'm sorry that that's, that's the, that was your experience but you know high five oh. for you mm-hmm. taking care of yourself because i yeah i don't buy into that um uh, you know biological bullshit um either. you know just because you come out of somebody uh or you have their genes mm-hmm. that, that doesn't give them you know the right to not see you and mm-hmm. treat you mm-hmm. um
1: definitely do you have siblings i have a brother okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It, oh, does it, it helps me having siblings because I can, you know, they're the only ones who were witness to it, yep. I think. Because yeah. it's hard to describe.
0: It is hard to describe. <laughs> you know, a, lo- a lot of the stuff that happened to me that happened out of view, mm-hmm. even from him. Um, but when I uh, told him, um, he supported me. He said, I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. That's good. And does it feel... You know does is your father still
0: my my dad passed away in in 06 my dad was uh, um not abusive just neglectful a high-functioning alcoholic who was um just at the end of the couch and didn't really want to interact with anybody Mm -hmm. not mean yeah um but just um Mm
1: -hmm. in his
0: own world in his own world Mm yeah yeah um do you, can you try to give me some snapshots of your relationship with your with your mom? Yeah. And maybe if, if you can think of any, some, and this was the, hard, the part that was so hard about cutting contact with my mom, is there were beautiful moments. And there are parts of her that are positive, that helped me grow as a person. Mm-hmm. And that's what was so heartbreaking about it, is that there was a part of her, and I said this in my goodbye letter to her, mm-hmm. is there is a part of you that I will always love, but there is a part of you that is not healthy Mm -hmm. for me to have contact with talk about the parts of her that you love and miss if there are any
1: yeah there definitely are some that's a great question um my mom is so crafty she's an amazing seamstress and i think growing up um my favorite part is that we always uh we're doing art throughout the day my dad uh was always you know work at work and I have a brother and a sister and I remember waking up as a little kid and we have watercolors laid out and, you know, fabric and, um, a mud pit to play in. And we would just get to paint our, but we have all these photos of, we would just paint watercolor on our bodies. Like we would just, Mm. and then she would hose us off in the front yard. And we had a very Huck Finn childhood in that way. You know, I would tell her like, I want to make a, penguin quilt and she's like perfect and we would go to the fabric store and pick out fabric and then she taught me how to sew so I know how to sew which is amazing you know I can make quilts and clothes and dresses and everything Um, she was amazing at that you know and even to this I mean not to this day but up until recent you know she's someone you can she could make anything out of you know fabric or yarn and stuff which is awesome and I think too she was at every sporting match i ever had i think i played a lot of sports in high school i played tennis and volleyball softball basketball and my mom was always there she was at every single thing you know and that's amazing and i think has a lot to do with my own personal confidence because that's rare you know Mm. to me it was just like oh of course my mom's here you know but that was
0: that's not a given
1: no it's not a given
0: do you remember things that she would say to you after games?
1: Yeah, I remember actually one time. I've never talked about this before. She came to a match. And I remember I was playing this girl, or no, it was I was a doubles match, and um, these other. It was in high school, and so these other high schoolers were in a car, and they were heckling the tennis match. And my mom was there. No, no one else really was. Like our coach was kind of there. And they were yelling and saying that I looked like a boy. And, and my mom got up out of the bleachers and ran over and bitched these high schoolers out to the point where they were just like, were in shock. my mom's like this little, you know, like five, five, just like very sweet, like Bob's yeah. haircut. And she just tore them a new one for yelling at her daughter. And it was a, like one of the first times I ever, only time I've ever seen her be like a mama bear to me and to protect me. But at that moment, I was like, this could be embarrassing, but it's also really cool, you know, and I I thanked her in the car afterwards, and it was like a very, that was the only time anything like that has ever happened, because I was never bullied before, but that was like, that was it, you know? Um, But she, I'm trying to think of another, like...
0: It's interesting, too, that she had the instinct to protect you from bullies, but she couldn't not bully you herself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And it, it, accumulated i think over so many years like it starts off so you know oh she just has you know rage issues you know or would lose it on me but not on my siblings but always me really yeah i think because i was always i was always the one that i think she knew was not gonna stay nearby i was always gonna leave you know because i ever since i was little i was like i'm gonna go do big things i'm out of here you know and so um and since I've, I think I haven't lived in Seattle since I was eighteen. You know, I went to college and then moved to New York, and then here. And um, I think it was easier for her to just still be like that because I wasn't there. I wasn't in her day to day, so she could call me up and say whatever she wants, and then you know.
0: So she got meaner after you moved out.
1: Ooh, I guess that's a good question. I think she got more, uh, more cutting. Where in high school it was, um, same thing with like the weight. Or she would, you know, make fun of me for being underdeveloped, you know, like I'm a confident A cup and, you know, she used to just, you know, I'd be like, oh, I want to go dress shopping. And she's like, well, you know, why? You can't fill anything out. And I remember being like, oh, God, okay. It's so horrible. But yeah, it's really bad. Like back then, it's one of those things where I would just kind of go in my room and be like, oh, God, okay. You know, like all my feminine development and learning came didn't even happen you know And like i think only recently and you know talking to some therapists and i was like oh i have to go back like i've been doing this thing where i go back and i journal as seven-year-old jenna or 12-year-old jenna and i talk to myself you know and and it's go back. so powerful it's so good and you
0: cry oh. so fucking hard mm-hmm.
1: so you can see them right you can yeah. see i see myself
0: i my therapist had me talk to a picture of myself at the age i was the abuse was the worst Mm -hmm. and uh oh my god it's when you see the innocent face of that child Mm -hmm. is when it really hits you because i think to protect our brains as adults we picture ourselves as little adults experiencing Mm -hmm. what we experience but when you see that picture you see how innocent how innocent you Mm
1: -hmm. were Mm -hmm. no idea and defenseless like we didn't couldn't defend myself you know because i was so little you know i think do, do you
0: remember what you said to yourself or I, what you thought or
1: i remember i would when i got ballsier in high school i think it's when she was she would say stuff like that to both my sister and i but not to my brothers I mean, he was you know they always wanted a son so he was like the prized one um he's a lovely person but um I remember I would yell at her and call her a bitch, and then I would run down to my room crying, and then my dad would come down and be like, I don't know why she says this. And I'm like, why are you married to her? <laughs> you know, like, why? Like, I didn't understand the source. I didn't understand that it was her. It was her own dislike of herself and her own yeah. um, unresolved
0: pro- trauma. Projecting it all onto you. I'm sure her mom shamed her, or her mm-hmm. dad shamed her, or- mm-hmm. And I'm just gonna guess that your dad had a controlling mom or a controlling dad?
1: Oh yeah. My he I actually I never met his dad. He passed away very young. I think when my dad was in college. And um my dad's mom was like definitely the matriarch of our family. She's so awesome, like a total storyteller, like a big yeah. fish type person. But it was very much the she was like a like a socialite like a debutante in texas you Mm -hmm. know was like in the papers and just like larger than life woman so yeah definitely like a more she was a personality Mm -hmm. for sure
0: but but a nice person
1: oh yeah oh yeah yeah
0: for for some reason i pictured you know the the stereotype of somebody being drawn to an abusive mate yeah you know it's usually they're trying to replay some uh relationship with a parent or totally. or something like that but I think
1: they met and married so young in college yeah so maybe there wasn't even you know signs or awareness of that at that point
0: but have you ever experienced any rage at your dad for not sticking up for you when your mom would be abusive
1: I did more in college because I think when I would go home that's when it was more potent Mm-hmm. You know, because when I lived at home, it was kind of more spread out. There'd be good times. But then when I was home visiting for a holiday or a long weekend, uh, it would be more rapid fire, you know, because I was there. And then she was able to, you know, throw daggers at me much faster. And it usually was just about my weight, which was so odd because um, podcast listeners. Uh, all bodies are beautiful. Um, but I was not I was like a size zero in high school and. I I remember that's too much yeah right that's too much yeah and I remember if you're not a negative size
0: (laughs) you're a cow you are a manatee
1: exactly you are
0: a manatee walking
1: home from this yes (laughs) but yeah and I think that was also I mean coincided with my first boyfriend ever and I remember you know I had my own phone in my room and I would call him just crying and he was like Jenna you're you're beautiful that doesn't she doesn't know what she's talking about and so I miraculously never developed an eating disorder but I developed a like a you know a tolerance disorder to this woman you know what do you say. mean what do you like mean? I just I to- I put up with it oh, yeah or I'd let it affect me in a way that because I felt like I had no other choice
0: I was gonna say I have never met anybody who had an abusive parent in childhood um, that saw it for what it was and just tuned them out and put their head down and you know, bided their time. I've never, I think because we so badly want to believe that we have a parent that isn't that way,
1: mm-hmm.
0: we then go, well, they must be right,
1: mm-hmm. you know, yeah. or
0: some part of it must be must be true.
1: Yeah, or that I have to do something to earn this, right? you know? And I think that's, the older I've got, the more when I look back on kind of how my life trajectory went, like I very much from a young age, decided that I was going to earn it, her earn her love. You know, I was gonna that work be out? the best. Oh man, I burned out so hard.
0: You're I mean, total perfectionist. Oh
1: God, it's bad. I was like president of every school I've been to. I was homecoming queen. I was tennis captain. I I was this on the outside what looked like a like a perfect all American childhood. And looking back I'm like, wow I I burned myself out. As a kid,
0: you know, what were your what were your common negative thoughts about yourself as a kid and your common negative thoughts about yourself today?
1: As a kid, it was that I
0: kid slash teenager yeah, any, any any time a
1: young woman. Yeah, yeah, um, that I wasn't pretty. I never she never told me I was pretty or beautiful as a kid, you know, which uh, might sound strange, but I, I that was, you know, that's a big deal as a girl you know Um, and I I think I just thought that I wasn't enough that I must be doing something wrong or something's wrong with me if she doesn't love me because aren't you supposed to love whatever comes out of you (laughs) you know Um, so I thought I must have some sort of unlovable defect Um, and as a grown woman I still wrestle with the feminine thing. I think that has been a process. It's getting a lot better because I think I've had more awareness of it. Where before, especially in stand up, like I think I, I put on a—you have to put on a shell. But, you know, I think I was, I was twenty-two doing stand up in New York, and it's you know like a Shark Tank. You're like a tiny minnow. Um, I. I put on a masculine energy around myself as a shield and not until now where I'm able to kind of take that off and break down those layers. um, I'm like, wow, I didn't, I never tapped into my like feminine side or my, that intuition side of me or like let myself enjoy being a woman. And like that, part of me which is very real like I love cooking and baking I do it all the time now you know because I'm trying to just make a conscious effort to do what I love no matter what it looks like and and
0: it's a nice thing for yourself
1: mm-hmm. totally yeah like it's meditative for me mm-hmm. now just getting to do that
0: I can't watch old stand-up uh, of myself because the way I'm performing not necessarily the ideas that, that I had but the manner that I'm delivering it in is so um what you called it. Just there's this shell, mm-hmm. and it's just autopilot, and there's, it's, uh, admit, like, I put a tape in because somebody's doing a, a documentary about Chicago comedy, yeah. and they wanted me to send them a tape, so I had to look, and I kid you not, as I sat watching it, every five seconds, I just went, ugh, mm. ugh. It was so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but more than anything, it made me yeah. sad. It made me sad that I didn't, that I didn't, that I was trapped in a prison of my own making, I guess, that the door was open for me to get out, but I couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. So I just thought, I've just got to keep, you know.
1: Head down, just do it. Head down,
0: just do it. And, Take uh, the bullets yeah. and then just,
1: Yeah. yeah. It is. It's unlike anything. I think there's something so, especially with stand-up too, you know, because that world is, you know, eight minutes on stage, but then all the other time is is the really, to me, the really, you know, hard stuff. It's hard.
0: Yeah, especially when hard. you're we're starting out, you, your worth seems to be tied to how your last show went.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah.
0: It's It's nice when you break free of that and you've been doing it long enough that you go... Just wasn't my crowd. Mm -hmm. You know, what am I going to do tomorrow? You know,
1: Mm -hmm. I think
0: I'll go play basketball or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Any other issues or um, things that you struggle with today or things from your past you want to talk about?
1: Oh, yeah. I think. um, I've been really more i guess
0: before you go to that and let's remember what it was you were going to say um i I meant to ask you this what is it about yourself that you think is not feminine enough
1: oh yeah i mean i would probably have to be and this is the biggest one I've had to wrestle with is my, is my body. And that's where it starts is just, you know, seeing myself looking in the mirror and saying, you are a beautiful woman. <laughs> that's it. You know? And cause I'm, I mean, it's so hard not to compare yourself, you know, but I think it does go back to that early on, you know, I wasn't curvy and, voluptuous like my sister you know and uh so I was shamed for that instead of being like the opposite which oh my god if I could go back and be able to just whisper in my own ear and be like you are great you will one day find a man who loves the fact that you have an a cup you're gonna do cartwheels and a tube top and love your life (laughs) and you can wear little kids clothes from their store and you can do all sorts of things you know and you're perfect you're perfect. And I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, learning how to dress for my body type, you know, what, what to wear so that I feel feminine when I put it on, you know, and cause everything's cut for, you know, a 34 C, you know, when I'm not that, um, and finding ways that, how I can do that so that when I'm, you know, getting ready in the morning, just taking care of myself, treating myself well, getting massages, getting my nails done, you know, stuff like that. That's, seems so silly but something i never Mm -hmm. indulged in as a kid ever you know
0: that's one of the reasons i think sports can be so um healing if they're you know approached in a way that isn't you know i'm trying to feed a bottomless pit Mm -hmm. and uh, dad doesn't hug me so (laughs) watch this
1: yeah (laughs) Uh, you know
0: um if for me it's reminds me because i've also hated uh parts of my body for a, a long time mm-hmm. and still struggle accepting some of them mm-hmm. but uh, when i for instance play hockey it's i love my body mm-hmm. and i feel strong and i feel masculine mm-hmm. and um and it's a relief
1: mm-hmm. you
0: know it's it's really nice and i imagine a lot of kids and women especially um have strengthened their self-esteem through sports mm-hmm. and seeing that, oh, my body is more than just something that it may turn someone on on Facebook.
1: Mm-hmm. It gets
0: me around. Mm-hmm. It helps me kick a goal. It helps me spike a volleyball or mm-hmm.
1: you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. See sites that I wouldn't normally see. Like I, I run a lot. I got more into that about 10 years ago, and that's the best and yoga I've gotten more into that lately too but you're right the feeling of being strong Like I would rather be strong mm-hmm. than anything because I think that's all I have you know it's like this is it this is our space in the universe right now and so it's like yeah definitely yeah. so
0: so um, back to the thing uh, you were about to talk about before I cut you off anything else you'd like to talk about um, things past or present you've struggled with um,
1: yeah, I think I wanted to, the mom stuff. I love that you said you wrote a goodbye letter mm-hmm. and that's something I, I never thought of doing, but that might be really great. Not just like,
0: I put it off yeah. forever yeah, and, and it, it was hard to sit in, in that mm-hmm. kind of limbo
1: mm-hmm. and then just and you're right. That that makes a lot of sense because I feel like the times when I tried to help her get help or talk it out or be the one to have the solution, um, it was just argument, you know. And uh, I've never laid it all out. You know, I just announced to the family it's game over. I'm not. I'm done with this. I'm not going to be her punching bag anymore. Uh, but she doesn't get it. Too, she doesn't get it. She texts me sometimes. I had to block her email. Um, she still emails me, like, hey, everything's great. Love you. And I'm like, what? Like, I told you I, that we're done. With Sounds this. like
0: she, she lives in her own reality. She does. Yeah, yeah.
1: Very much so. And, um, you know, I spent Christmas down here with my pets um, in Venice and I loved it. There was something very peaceful about waking up alone on Christmas morning and not having to do anything. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> just, that's Christmas. Like, that's Christmas really. <laughs> it was amazing. I was like, "Oh, I oh, I took my dog for a walk on the beach. It was blustery. I was like, I love I love the choices that have led me to this moment. Whatever those are, they led me here, and I'm doing something right because I'm at peace right now. And I think the letter I that's something I want to mull over and do and just, you know.
0: And, and, and for me, it, it was much easier to send it when I was not sending it from a place of anger, which took me years to get to. Um, and it felt like it was coming from a place of, um, compassion and its diplomacy towards her, but even more so, uh, compassionate for myself. You know, one of the, I had an epiphany one day that it, we should have, compassion for other people but not at the expense of compassion for ourselves and that was what finally dawned on me why i needed to do this um Mm -hmm. because i had been kind of serving her feelings um since i was since i was a little kid and it was killing me Mm -hmm. it was killing me Mm -hmm. um but it's if it sounds like you're in that place right now where you don't hate your mom but you're just taking care of yourself Mm -hmm. and
1: and wish her the best and hoping that she in her own way will get the help she needs and Mm -hmm. that i it's not my responsibility to give that to her and that's what took me a lifetime (laughs) to realize you know are you a fixer
0: when it comes to friends and their problems and emotions and stuff like that
1: yeah i think i am you know and because i want to help them and I feel like you know, and
0: then you don't have to think about yourself.
1: Yeah, and I think you're right. What you're what you're saying before about the responsibility, you know, since then how friendships have gone, and I think I've gotten much better, or I no, I have about being able to honestly look at something and be like, am I taking responsibility for someone else by showing up? Mm-hmm. Am I being a crutch to them instead of letting them figure their shit out? Because. A lot of times that's what it is.
0: Yeah. And the other thing is, is this relationship feeding me in any way? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the answer to a relationship is no, Mm -hmm. it's draining me. Mm -hmm. It started off as I want to help this person, but it's completely one-sided. It's all about them. Or when it does come back to me, it's backhanded compliments or,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, whatever. But I think if you can, if you can live through cutting, um, a family member out of your life. um, It's because it's, it's so scary and so hard, but if you can do that, I mean, it's, there's a lot you can do. There's a lot you can do if you've gone through that and come out, come out the other side.
1: Yeah, totally. And the experience too, after I've, and I would love to hear about your experience too, because right after I made the conscious choice to cut her, out, um so much uh started happening. Like I went on my first ever comedy tour up the West Coast. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to do the road. Did a month on the road. Um I met or I started dating my best friend. We're still together to this day. The healthiest partnership I've ever been in, in my life. He's amazing. And um we have this really cool um we call we're sovereign partners is how I would describe it. You know, we're both like, he's just awesome. And I've never dated anyone, you know, where I would feel just complete support and like, that I am independent and able to say and do everything that I feel. And, um, and also, I, I think I just stopped, you know, binge drinking. So I wasn't trying to fill, you know, to numb it anymore. Um, Yeah, my friendships got deeper, because I wasn't trying to please everyone. Because I wasn't trying to, please the main one anymore, and so the other ones kind of fell off, and uh, I finished two screenplays. You know, I was in my first movie recently. That's why I have these bangs ah, in a movie. Congratulations. Um, was great, Is yeah. it something
0: that we can see?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's actually, it's called Permanent. Um, it's with Patricia Arquette and Rain Wilson. Awesome. Which is like, yeah, it's awesome. It's going to come out, um, it was through Tribeca Film Grant, I think. Mm-hmm. The director and writer is this woman named Colette Burson. Um, she re- wrote that show Hung.
0: oh okay yeah and she's
1: awesome and she was at a stand-up show i did last march i think and so um yeah she asked me to audition for it and it was such a great experience um but yeah it's called permanent so definitely yeah um and i think once looking at that at the before and after if that's the earthquake in my life afterwards oh my gosh the freedom to create, because before I was terrified of her googling me, because that's what she would do. She would Google me, and then call my siblings and be like, "Jenna did a show about this, blah, blah. And I'm like, I, you know, <laughs> I, I'm proud of who I am on and off stage. And if this woman uh, insists on, you know, and she started sending me hate mail, that's why I had to cut it off too. Like hateful mail. And I was like, this is just
0: did it at least at the bottom say happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I was a love, mom, yeah, and I I remember reading it as if you know I was like this reads like a crazy person from the woods went to a library and then like emailed me like that it didn't read like anyone who knew me and so that's why I knew I was like okay like I have to make a real choice and so and the proof is in my life afterwards that it's like awesome <laughs> you know
0: right. yeah I try to remember that when I'm in the middle of something that's painful or difficult that um maybe this will help me appreciate life more when this is over definitely uh anything else you want to share before you hit us with some fears and loves
1: oh, um you know i think um just that like i uh, my heart feels so light right now Getting oh, to talk to you about this, good. really, I, I
0: it's going to help a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I'm so excited, and I guess anyone who's listening, um, if you know someone who this resonates with, the best thing you could ever do is um, give them a space to talk about it because they probably won't bring it up themselves. But if you, if you have an idea um, or have seen anything, you can be sure that something's going on because once it hits. The light of day, then you know it's really bad in the dark. So, and,
0: and if you've never experienced that kind of mindfuck from somebody that gaslights, um, you don't know the power that it has. Especially if that person already has a voice in their brain that tells them they're not enough.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yeah.
0: Do you remember the name of the support group? You it was just at the YWCA. Did it have a name? I'm sure there's a thousand th- places people can Google.
1: Yeah, that was the one, because I looked up a bunch, and that was the closest to me. And I know the YWCA is my, oddly enough, my mom volunteered for them for five years mm. through our church, um, like stocking apartments for homeless families to move into. And so that was, so I was like, oh, I've I've heard of the YWCA. Um, and it was lovely. I think I just ended up, my work schedule kind of prevented mm. me from continuing to go, which sadly, I, it's probably a, reality for a lot of people who want to go to a thing (laughs) and (laughs) you know know? and
0: and that's another thing that that speaks to the complexity of um people that we experience as as abusive as your mom does volunteer work my mom did a ton of volunteer work and people are so fucking complicated Mm -hmm. they're so complicated yeah definitely Uh, um Did I, did, was there something, a thought you wanted to finish or something? Oh,
1: yeah, just that. Yeah. Any, um, yeah, I think that's it. Just talk about it or, you know, reach out to people. And a
0: lot of times a friend doesn't want to be fixed. They just want you to listen compassionately. Hug them, hold them, say, I'm here for you. Um,
1: no advice. Don't, just hold them them and let them cry.
0: I mean, that's the best moments I've had with friends is when I, cry on their shoulder they cry on my shoulder mm-hmm. and not a lot needs to be said mm-hmm. you know that them just mm-hmm. being there and not trying to change it is yeah like a really deep form of love and acceptance
1: mm-hmm. definitely and even offering to go to the group meeting i remember i was like so nervous to go to the meeting by myself because i didn't know um but once i went i was like oh this is great this is like yeah. You know, these are people, <laughs> you know.
0: Isn't that the best when you walk in? I always say that the first time I walked into uh, a sport group, it's like my entire life I'd felt like a three-legged dog, and then I walked into a room of three-legged dogs.
1: And it was like, and- what's up, everybody? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like, this is going to
0: be okay. Yeah. This is yeah, going to be okay. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um,
1: give me some fears. Oh, yeah. All right. Do we go back and forth?
0: Uh, I'll try to think of some. Okay, great. Okay, I probably so. listed 400 <laughs> fears of mine in the course totally. of doing this show. But, you know, uh, maybe I'll repeat some. Maybe awesome. I'll repeat some.
1: I love it. Okay. All right, so uh, this is my first one is, uh, I'm waking up in the middle of the night and seeing a human face staring in the window. <laughs> That's my ultimate favorite.
0: Uh One night, my wife and I were in bed, and we have like a little skylight, mm-hmm. and we looked up, and some animal... Was looking down at us, and we couldn't really tell what it was, but its eyes were lit up and beady. And we were both so fucking terrified that I had to get a ladder and I used Christmas paper to cover (laughs) it up because it wouldn't stop looking at us. It it was like out of a horror movie.
1: That's so scary. Out
0: of a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's so freaky. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Bone chilling.
0: Uh give me another one.
1: Um I have a oh, so the another big earthquake, like you mentioned mm-hmm. Northridge, um hitting while I'm trying on ill fitting swimwear in a Ross dress for less fitting room. And that, Oh, an that's earthquake my,
0: hitting? Yeah, yeah, and then
1: that's my outfit for end times. that <laughs> so I'm in like a really bad tankini. Yeah, for that, the apocalypse. <laughs> that's,
0: that's the wrong size.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, too big or too small. Either one of them. And that's it. You have to run out and, like, yeah. get help.
0: Oh, my God. When the earthquake hit, you know, it was 4.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. So we went running out. And um I was just in my underwear. And I didn't... This is when I wore glasses. I didn't hadn't had LASIK yet. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't met anybody. And it's all in our courtyard. So 20 apartments in a courtyard... And there I am in my underwear, and I can't see anything. And I was like, do I go back in and risk dying? Because it's still – aftershocks are happening all the time, and it's still scary. And I thought, I'm going to risk dying rather than stay out here another minute in my underwear, unable to see.
1: Yeah, in front of all my new neighbors. Yes. That is it wild. Was, yeah,
0: it was not It was not fun. Well, I've heard people that uh, – naked. Yeah. You know, just – out on the street. How are you?
1: Mm-hmm. This is. <laughs> yeah, like this is it. Now, that's why I don't. I used to sleep naked all the time. I don't here yeah. because I think we've had a couple, or you know, earthquakes mm-hmm. since there's one last year. Or same thing. I grabbed my dog and ran out into the street. Don't like,
0: don't run <laughs> okay, when there's an earthquake. No. Don't run. <laughs> don't run. <laughs> don't run. Um, just uh, maybe slide to like the nearest doorway. Mm-hmm. Um, you want as many door frames around you as possible because that's more support from the roof. Uh, falling in oh, they always, would
1: go around always
0: have okay. shoes near your bed yeah and shoes uh, comfortable shoes in your car
1: mm-hmm. um
0: and uh always have water in both your car and in I your apartment yeah. and don't light a candle after because there could be gas leaks
1: oh. and always have some
0: type of uh um like flashlight or something that's charging or have batteries laying around and some canned food Sorry if that uh, no, bores the people that that don't live in earthquake uh, earthquake countries, but
1: but that's so true. I need to do that in my trunk. I think I have water and shoes yeah. and some clothes and a yeah. blanket. Yeah, but flashlight's a good call.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, and the best is actually um REI sells mm. them, and it's like the elastic headband <gasps> miners thing yeah. mm-hmm. because when it happens, you're going to be you know needing to bring the dresser back up, and you're going to need both your hands. Mm-hmm. So. That's That's so
1: true. I'm going to go get one. Yeah. This is good. Um, Oh. Oh, that I could pass away suddenly and my family will read all my journals. (laughs) That's terrible. My sister is the first responder. I was like, just go get there first and do a sweep. Find everything and put it in a trunk and drive away.
0: (laughs) Somebody shared... uh through a survey we have surveys on the website that people fill out anonymously and somebody yeah. shared that they had to be checked into a uh mental hospital and their aunt went over to get something and in the middle of her bedroom was like some crazy dildo. Yes. And her and her <laughs> her aunt and her laughed about it, but she said she was pretty horrified that <gasps> that her her aunt found this yeah. this thing. Yeah. Totally. Well, the fact that you would be embarrassed that somebody would find your journal means that your journaling is good. Yeah. You totally. know what I mean? That you're getting Unfiltered. the good the, the good stuff out.
1: Yeah. Exactly. The good stuff out. Go um, ahead.
0: Give me another one. Oh,
1: okay. I, this one. Um, spending the night alone out at sea treading water like if you get on a riptide oh right
0: yeah I almost drowned in a riptide in Mexico
1: that's it
0: was terrifying and by the time I realized what was happening um, I was just in full panic mode Uh, I didn't even realize that I was uh, that I was caught in a riptide Um, I just knew and it was weird because I was only like 15 yards from shore Mm -hmm. but every time I would make headway the backwash Would bring me back out and I was starting to get exhausted and just as I felt like I couldn't go on one brought me to the beach and I just remember laying face down on the beach and I couldn't do anything except breathe as hard as possible and I was just like, oh my God, I almost fucking died. Yeah, it's crazy.
1: That is crazy. The ocean is so powerful. It's terrifying. Mm. Wow.
0: And yet it gives us Baywatch.
1: I know. right? Maybe that's part of its power. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, oh, this is another one. Um, finding a scorpion in my pant leg. Ooh. But I don't really scorpions here, but there's, I think I saw some sort of show. I used, to, I love like discovery mm-hmm. or nature channel and watching that as a kid. And I always having this deep fear that when mm-hmm. we get up there,
0: I, I have that about um, black widows or brown recluses getting in my uh, hockey gear because I keep it in the garage and there's a ton of wood mm-hmm. in the garage. And, um, and I did get bit one time by one. I didn't, wasn't aware of it when it happened. But one of the things they say when you get a spider bite um, from something that powerful is you will see a line of red uh, going from the bite towards your heart. You. And after the second day, you know, I thought it was like a mosquito bite. And then I saw by, on the second day that there was a trail of like a red line going up. Oh, my body and my so God. i went to the doctor and he said oh yeah yeah I'm, it's good that you came when you did
1: that's terrifying <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh because you're ready to get hide in your gloves or your yeah, skates or yeah, something
0: yeah that's so scary yeah. oh, i like God. how i have an example of every single fear that I love that, it. that you have all that's right awesome. give me no, another one so
1: great um Oh, oh my last one is um s- same thing uh stepping into a boot and feeling um, like crushing a frog in your t- or like something oh, slimy that you yes. kill. Oh. You know what I mean? Like that toes and that oh, just, yeah. that's terrifying. That's why I
0: can't walk like in a in a murky lake oh. not knowing what's oh. on the bottom. Yeah, no. I, I can't do it. Yeah, I can't except, do it.
1: ads, glass. Yeah. Like you just don't know. Yeah, those are all my fears.
0: A body's eye socket.
1: Yeah, exactly. and, then, and, the,
0: and there's still some goo left in the eye. eye
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly.
0: Uh, give me some loves.
1: Um. Oh, loves. Oh, my ultimate love is um unlikely animal friendships.
0: The best. the best. The fucking best. Those
1: calendar montages.
0: The best.
1: I love it. Like, I saw this one. It was like a grizzly and a duckling were like in a meadow together, oh. you know, or like a pig and a falcon drinking out of a puddle. I was like, I just, it's, I think that those are the best things on the planet.
0: There's no way that you can be cynical about the universe when you are looking at mm-hmm. one of those pictures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're like, oh, there, there is love.
1: There, yeah. If a baby cougar and a swan can do it, we should be able to do it, right like it's it's so cute. oh, just melts me, but it just shows like you know love is blind, love yep. is blind yeah. um oh, I loved watching meteor showers in my parents' backyard, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. in August up in Seattle, there'd be a meteor shower. I remember seeing that was the coolest thing I've never seen one. oh, yeah, they were wild, I guess we thought more at least fancy. not a big sometimes. one, not yeah. A yeah, I love those. I bet that's great. Um oh grocery shopping alone on a Friday night. I, I love like that. that.
0: That's such good self-care too. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, cuz there's not that many people there. Um and you can just browse every aisle. I just I love it. I've been doing it by, for years, you know, if I can. I'm just. That's the time to go. I get it. Because daytime is pandemonium. It. And
0: that's the nice thing about being a stand-up comic is you are always on the opposite hours that everybody else is.
1: Totally. Mm-hmm.
0: You get very spoiled about there not being lines.
1: Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Um, another one is an icy cold pina colada after a massage.
0: That sounds nice. Yeah,
1: I love pina coladas. I think I don't ever really have them. I did when I was 21 because mm. you know, and then a couple of days ago. I was just, I got a massage and then I was craving one. And so I went to the grocery store and I bought all the ingredients and I went home and I blended myself a pina colada and it was amazing. I had two of them. Good
0: yeah. for you. It was so good. good Post massage.
1: You. They were like, just have a lot of water. And I'm like, no, I'm going to have like loaded full, you know, it was amazing. Yeah. Um, I love, oh, this dessert called the worms and dirt that my grandma Roseanne, my dad's mom used to make. Um, we'd have like an annual camping trip and she thought it was hilarious to give us this. And it was just chocolate mousse, crushed up Oreos with gummy worms.
0: Mm, She's like... That sounds good. So good. Did she come up with a name?
1: I, I don't know, actually. She might have.
0: It's a great name Isn't for a, a cra- kid dessert. Yeah. Worms and dirt, yeah. Worms and dirt. Yeah.
1: We yeah. remember being like, ah, you know. Um, oh, this is one of my other favorites. So I have two uh, rescue pets who are both 20 pound males, one dog, one cat, and they wrestle on the bed, no. They do WrestleMania. Have you, have
0: you posted videos of it yet?
1: Um, I have photos. I think I could probably find a you video. You have to get
0: videos of that.
1: Yeah, it's so funny. The cat wins.
0: And, and give me the link when we put this yeah. uh, episode up so that people can watch it.
1: Absolutely. Oh, I will yeah. for sure. Yeah. I'll t- record some and send. Yeah. They they wrestled earlier today. It's so funny. Um, and then my last one is a really good, and this is something that's new since I've lived in LA. Is a really good plate of Huevos Rancheros. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The best Mexican food in it's, yeah, is is here. It's amazing.
0: It's is one of my favorite things about living in Los Angeles. And, yeah. and mine, uh, regarding Mexican food, would be a platter of enchiladas when they mm. bring it out, and you can't even touch the plate because it's so hot, and the cheese is melted where it's just a little bit browned around the edges, and it's so hot that it's almost like like liquid, mm-hmm. and the refried beans are just... Uh, <laughs> yeah you, you, i can't even describe it but i i and you can taste that the the uh peppers that they used in the sauce mm-hmm. were real peppers and mm-hmm. and fresh mm-hmm. you can taste that depth of I've, that red that red sauce
1: yeah exactly yeah. that is like fresh made yeah you know yeah so good yeah. It's so good uh
0: Jenna people can follow you at jenna brister on uh and it's b r i s t e r yeah j e n n a yeah um on twitter um we'll put other links up perfect uh on this and uh go see the movie which is permanent permanent yeah
1: it'll come yep. out it's I'm so excited the script is awesome very excited to see it very cool yeah they were Th- great thanks Jenna thank you so much paul
0: many many thanks to jenna she's uh, she's doing well uh still with the same guy. And, uh, we do not have the footage of her dogs, her dog and her cat wrestling yet, but uh, when she gets that, I'll, uh, upload it, uh, onto the website. Uh, this episode will soon be transcribed, uh, and available on our website. Many thanks to Accurate Secretarial for donating their time and helping out the show. Um, Speaking of helping out the show, if you're so inclined, there's a couple of different ways you could do it. You can go to our website, mentalpod.com, and you can either do a one-time donation, uh, which you would do through PayPal, or you can become a recurring monthly donor um, through PayPal or Patreon. I recommend Patreon because then I can give you freebies like little mini episodes or silly videos, stuff like that. Um, All these links are on website um you can also support us by using our uh, portal to get into amazon and if you use that portal every time you shop at amazon they give us um money and that helps doesn't make what you're buying any more expensive but it helps the podcast greatly um, you can also, oh, by the way, uh, t-shirts are currently unavailable. I'm switching vendors. I'll, uh, let you know when they, when they become available. Um, and you can, you can help us non-financially by going to iTunes, writing something nice, uh, about us, giving us a good rating, s- spreading the word about the podcast through social media. That, that really helps. And, um, donating frequent flyer miles that would really, really help because um, I'm going to uh, Europe May 1 through 15 to try to get a greater variety of uh, voices. Um, Not so many Americans. And um, it's expensive to go to Europe. And so I had to use my personal frequent flyer uh, miles to, um, to go there. And it would just be nice to to be able to go there again in the future um, because I don't think uh, I would be able to afford the the airfare to to go there um, without frequent flyer miles. Anyway, enough about that. Hey, I got a question for you guys. Why are you still going to the post office and dealing with their limited hours when you can get postage on demand with stamps.com? Don't answer me now. You can email me later, but seriously, if you're a small business, especially one that sends packages or letters, why would you not use stamps.com? I tried it out. It is super simple to set up. It's straightforward. It's convenient. And I got to say, it's actually pretty cool printing out your own stamps. I I almost felt like the Secret Service was going to kick my door open. But anything that you can do at the post office, you can do right now from your desk with stamps.com you can buy and print official u.s postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer and unlike the post office stamps.com never closes so you can get postage whenever you need it uh, right now use the code mental for this special offer and that's just uh, that code mental is just for this podcast so if you do it Maybe they'll advertise more on the podcast and then, uh, we'll have a little more financial stability. Uh, it's a four week trial that includes postage and a digital scale. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else though, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in mental. That's stamps.com. Find the little radio microphone at the top. Enter mental and you're on your way. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Uh I want to also give uh some love, some praise, some attention to Zip Recruiter. They've been a really great supporter of this podcast for the last few months, and I greatly appreciate it. Uh Let me ask you another question. I hope I'm not being too nosy. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Because posting your job in one place isn't cutting it. You want to find the perfect hire? You need to post your job on all the top job sites. And now you can. ZipRecruiter already has 9 million resumes that you can search through in their database. You can add multiple people to your account to make it the most efficient for your team to find the best hire. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. ZipRecruiter's handy website shows trending career fields, cities, and searches. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. You just post it once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen the candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. And right now, you guys can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ziprecruiter.com first. That's ZipRecruiter.com/slash-first. Let's do it a third time. ZipRecruiter.com/slash-first. Let's get to a couple of surveys. Uh, the the other thing is, um, I I've gotten more than a few emails from people who um, uh, want to turn people onto the podcast, but the length of the episodes is a bit of a turnoff. So. Um, I'm going to try to, for a little while to make them not quite as long. Um, and like I said, for monthly donors, uh, there will be some, every once in a while, there will be some extra content done, uh, done through the Patreon site. Um, anyway. So this is an email that I got from a woman who, who writes, um, I was going to put this in a survey, but couldn't find a place for it. What is up with PTSD? I think it's way overused, and having anyone with trauma describe themselves or be diagnosed with PTSD really hurts the legitimacy uh, of, in, or of individuals that truly suffer from it. Uh, I mean, as being bullied as a kid, the same as seeing your friends blown up. I heard a woman on uh, Sincerely X TED Talk that I thought was total BS. Maybe being used by, quote, sad sacks that you want to do seem more tragic than they actually are. Uh, and my thought on this is, you know, the far greater problem is the huge number of people minimizing their experiences you know what someone wants to label their experience is their own business they still deserve compassion and maybe somewhere down the road we'll find a way to create labels that are more specific but in the meantime there are a lot of people suffering who need help and we need more inclusivity not exclusivity um you know what what is the worst that could happen let's say huge numbers of people started claiming, uh, you know, I had a hangnail and, uh, you know, I have PTSD. Okay, um, so what, what, what does that harm? Maybe you get annoyed talking to that person, but let's look at the downside of somebody with PTSD who says, no, I'm okay what happened to me wasn't bad enough. they don't get help. they you know seek comfort in addictions um problems with their anger they want to isolate maybe they take their life so that that's my two cents uh this is an awfulsome moment filled out by a dog shit darla, and she writes, uh, my parents wanted me to show the house that we were selling. Uh, I was a young 21. The people seemed to like the little place. It had a charm, kind of bungalowy. y uh, The lot was very deep, and there was a built-in open area that had a light bulb with a hanging cord to turn the light on. This isn't going where you think it's going. <laughs> uh, the lot was very deep, and there was a built-in open area. Okay, I read that. Uh, it was dark outside, so I was struggling to find the cord to turn on the light. The man who was looking at the house came over. where I was to help me find it, which he did, uh, being a good foot taller than I. The bright light came on and every eye present was magnetically drawn to his foot, ankle deep in dog shit. I was mortified beyond words, but I knew I had to make a full report to my very exacting, angry at all things mother. I called her and when I started to relate the information I dissolved into hysterical laughter and she did too. Incredibly, the man chose not to buy the house. I think that when everybody saw that, I think you should have just said, "We'd be willing to throw that in." That might have sold him. That might have sold him on the house. This is a shame and secret survey. Excuse me. Filled out by a woman who calls herself still bitter. She's gay in her twenties, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Uh, Never been sexually abused. Uh, No response to whether or not she was physically or emotionally abused. Darkest thoughts. My last relationship ended largely because my parents are racist against my partner. I'm still extremely bitter about it. Uh, It hurt a lot and still hurts. I should move on at this point. It's been over three years since we broke up. I want to move forward, but I'm still so angry and sad, and I don't feel heard." Sometimes I fantasize about telling my parents how fucked up they are on pivotal moments in the future, like on my wedding day if I marry someone else. I'd like to tell them that I still think of that person and know I would be happier because I'm afraid that's actually true, or even saying something on their deathbed, although I would never actually do this. I want them to know they hurt me deeply. Darkest secrets. I used to casually and vacantly touch my genitals while watching TV. Often, when I was little, uh, for some reason. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Uh, Sexual fantasy is about a previous professor I've had. Sharing that makes me feel vulnerable and guilty, but it's also super funny because all my friends feel the same. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Fuck you. This is all in caps. Fuck you for taking away someone I loved purely, blissfully, and fully, because you are a racist jerk. I will never forget that. Um, Thank you for sharing. uh, uh, How do you feel after writing these things down? The feelings I've been suppressing are more more raw now, and I feel a headache coming on. I feel a sob in my chest. Thank you for sharing that. And I I can't imagine what that has to be like, but uh, 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 moving forward, a question to ask yourself might be, what is the cost of not speaking up with my parents? And what are the benefits of not speaking up with my parents? And... Um, and also, might there be a way for me to uh, express what it is that I want to say in a way that is diplomatic um, without being apologetic, um, where I'm sharing what it is that I'm feeling? You know, generally, I, I find that if I can share how something makes me feel instead of saying, you're an asshole for doing this. You know, like, for instance, uh, you know, if somebody is, well, here here's an actual... Real life instance, a guy I was playing hockey with started uh, barking at me that I should be playing more defense. And this guy never plays defense. So I was like, who, you know, first of all, why don't you play fucking defense for once and then tell me how to play hockey? And so we started going back and forth with each other. And one of the things I've learned in support groups is when I get agitated, try to find a moment to just shut my eyes, take a deep breath, and say, okay, what's really going on here? And I thought, what's really going on is he hurt my feelings with the tone of voice that he used. I don't think he was wrong in saying that I should have been playing more defense. So I went up to him and I said, Mike, I don't have a problem with what you said. I have a problem with how you said it. And he said, you're right, I apologize. And we moved on. And we moved on. That, to me, I didn't learn how to do For decades, and now it's one of the best tools I have. So maybe there's a way to share this with your, share what you're feeling with your parents. But my feeling is, if they're racists, they might not be very self-reflective. How's that for the understatement of uh, the century? All right, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself anon. And he is in his 30s. He's asexual. He writes, I have avoided any sexual contact with anyone. Um, He was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Despite my parents' terrible marriage, they somehow managed to do a fantastic job. I am grateful for that. Uh, Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Yes, and I never reported it. Uh, He writes, I was a young boy, maybe six or seven. I was wandering alone around an old abandoned mill near where I used to live back in England. This place was a huge expanse of degraded buildings that was home for street kids and hobos alike. I was found by a gang of older girls. I don't recall how many, probably five or six of them, probably in their mid to late teens. They surrounded me menacingly and started asking personal questions that I could not possibly understand. They asked if I liked girls, if I liked tits, if I wanted to taste a pussy, and laughed and denigrated me as i struggled to answer i was trapped and terrified and kept closing my eyes in the hopes that i would open them again and they would be and be anywhere else one girl demanded i take off my pants because they needed to make sure my dick was okay they told me that they could tell they could tell me if it was a good one uh, uh they told me that they could tell me if it was a good one When I refused, they began slapping and pinching me and calling me a coward. I capitulated and dropped my pants and underwear. One girl grabbed my penis and violently retracted my foreskin. I shrieked in pain and tried to move my hands down there to guard myself, but I was grabbed from behind and restrained. They took turns, quote, inspecting my penis, which involved them taking turns, grabbing it, twisting it, digging their nails into it, tugging on it violently and trying to hit my testicles, which had withdrawn into my body. They told me my penis was disgusting and worthless, that it smelled rotten, that the color of the tip was weird, that girls will never like me, and that I will never be any use to them. They threatened to cut or rip it off many times. I was so afraid that eventually I shut down. It became a dream. They finished the ordeal by pushing a stick of lip gloss fully into my anus and then all kicked me in the butt and lower back as I silently laid there curled up in a ball they walked away laughing and talking about how pathetic I was I don't know how long I laid there I didn't dare move because I was sure they were hiding somewhere nearby I soiled myself as I laid there unable to move after what seemed like an eternity I found the ability to cry then to stand then to remove the chapstick from inside me I walked home feeling numb and didn't say anything to anyone. That was 31 years ago, and this is the first time I have ever told this story. I don't fully remember how it affected me at the time. I remember being quiet and withdrawn for a little while, and I remember hating being alone. I know this has irreparably changed how I see women, and I hate myself because of it. I'm so, so sorry that that you experienced this and it's amazing to me that you would hate yourself because of this but I guess that's the nature of trauma is we find a way to blame ourselves. Um, I just want to give you a hug buddy Darkest Thoughts. I have fantasies of catching young women in the act of abusing someone, and I then torture and kill her. I want to be the hero I begged for back then, when nobody came to help me. Uh, Darkest Secrets. I masturbate to violent fantasies of self-harm. I am aroused by the idea of replicating myself so I can hunt, torture, and kill myself. Um... Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you, cutting my own throat and feeling the warm rush of blood over my hands. Have you shared these things with others? Never. How do you feel after writing these things down? All I feel is fear that you will not believe me. I do believe you. I wish it, I wish it had never happened. I think everybody listening to this is. I bet there's a lot of people that had to fast forward because it just got too heavy. Um, But I believe you. I believe you. And your story is worthy of sharing with a professional or a support group Um, You are worthy of that. You deserve compassion. And that little kid that probably retreated somewhere inside your soul when that happened, that kid deserves to feel safe in this world. Sending you some love. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by Rhymes with Lasagna. Does anything rhyme with lasagna? Um, I'm sure there is. And she writes, My dad was psychiatrically hospitalized for the first time when he was in his early 60s. He was finally diagnosed as bipolar after his first and luckily only psychotic break. He had been misdiagnosed for decades as depressed, uh, Regardless, this hospitalization was a shock to the family and heart-wrenching for him, as he often lamented that he, quote, failed us and having, quote, ended up in a loony bin. After three weeks of stabilization, he was cleared to be discharged. However, he was going to be released the day after his birthday. He begged the doctors to let him out two days early so he wouldn't have to spend his his birthday at an inpatient facility. Clearly, they wouldn't budge. I called him on his birthday to cheer him up. I was a few hundred miles away in college, finishing up my final exam, so I couldn't be there in person. To lighten the mood, I said, Hey, Dad, it's your birthday. Go crazy. He chuckled a little bit and said, I already did. Thank you for for sharing that. Oh, man, it's so good to be able to laugh when you're in the middle of shit like that. Uh, this is also an some moment filled out by um, a guy who calls himself Not Your Punching Bag. Um, I think this could also be a happy moment. He writes, I was staying with a new friend in a foreign con- country. She was someone who I had met through Tinder and we had hooked up, but it had quickly transformed into a platonic friendship. We had had some open conversations in the previous days and how she had a crush on me and I didn't reciprocate and I thought we had come to some mutual ground and respect on it. Then one night she had a, pa- a panic attack common for her and I tried to comfort her but she pushed me away. Then later, after it was done, she started screaming at me for go- and going off about how I caused the panic attack and how I hadn't done enough to comfort her. She blamed me for all her emotional problems, saying that I forced her to deal with emotion that she didn't need to deal with, etc. This was super triggering for me, as part of my history is around an abuser blaming me and making me responsible for her emotions. I recognized how dangerous the situation was and told my friend that I was sorry she was struggling, but I had to leave to stay safe myself. I encouraged her to call someone else and took my bags and left. Sitting on the street uh, street corner at 3 a.m. waiting for an Uber, I was so proud of myself for taking the stand I needed for my own mental health, especially as I had just come off my meds the week before. That is, you know, moments like that to me are like when, I know this is a really old reference, but like when Rocky runs up the 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 steps at the end of the first Rocky movie because that is when when we have been raised in emotional ignorance or poverty or whatever you want to call it it is we don't have the muscle the emotional muscle to to take care of ourselves you know we either freeze or we people please or we do something it doesn't doesn't help anyone but um Thank you for sharing that. And then finally, this is a happy moment filled out by Missy, and she writes, I was running late to my own wedding. Uh, We were to meet at the courthouse. I rode with my sister and mother in one car. My soon-to-be husband, my father, and my brother rode in another. I was feeling like a bundle of nerves as I walked up the stairs. I knew I loved him, but I wondered if I was good enough for him. I looked up and saw my significant other and my little 13-year-old brother peeking their heads out of the entrance, grinning ear to ear, eyes sparkling, something so beautiful and rare. They were genuinely happy to see me. Time slowed down as if my mind took a picture of them and all felt right in the world. Six years later, my mind still goes back and remembers that moment when I try to convince myself that no one loves me and I'd be better off dead. That moment has saved me from the edge many times. I love my husband and my brother, even more for that. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And, um, I hope this new sub two hour episode, uh, looks good on me. I, I know it kind of depends on what season it is and what kind of light if I'm being lit from behind, but I hope that this, um, I hope that you can't see my gut as much in this sub-two-hour episode. Um, And to those of you that I will be recording when I'm in uh, Europe, I look forward to it. And anybody out there struggling, I hope you heard something tonight that helped, that reminded you that... We're all in this together. And you are most definitely not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know, know weird is bizarrely way. beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way.
1: Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.